This is Mel. And this is Tosh. And welcome to Mahogany Mammology, an online and podcast dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. This is episode two, and today's topic, we are going to dive into abuse, how to talk to your children and identifying the signs among partners, um, whether that be emotional, physical, or psychological. So we have... Miss Shaniqua Alford here. And Shaniqua Alford is actually the owner and therapist of Restoring Serenity Counseling. She's a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Texas with a Bachelor's of Social Work from Texas Christian University and Master's of Social Work from the University of Texas at Arlington. And you'll find her entire bio on our show notes later this afternoon. Absolutely. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So let's go ahead and just dive right into it. I would like you to define what abuse is. Okay. Um, Basically, there are four main types of child maltreatment. Um, There's physical abuse. There's neglect. There's sexual abuse. And then there's also emotional abuse. And so I can kind of briefly explain each of those and, and let you know kind of what what is included in each of those. Um, So for physical abuse, it is a non-accidental physical injury that results in some type of harm to a child. Um, This may include punching, beating, shaking, biting, um, choking a child. Um, But these physical injuries can range from bruises, they can be broken bones, um, and sometimes even death. Um, And then we have neglect. Uh, Neglect is a failure to provide for a child's basic needs. Um, This can include not providing food or clothing or shelter, um, but it also includes neglectful supervision, um, which is basically not providing um, adequate care and supervision for your child. Um, Could also include failing to meet a child's uh, medical needs, dental needs, uh, dental needs, or even their their mental health needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have sexual abuse, and uh, that's basically where you coerce um, or you um, engage in any type of sexual acts with a with a child. Um, these activities could be fondling, um, it could be touching a child, um, penetration, um, incest, and even even rape. Um, and then lastly, we have emotional abuse, and this is a pattern of behavior that impairs a child's emotional development and their self-worth. And so emotional abuse is actually one of the most difficult to prove um, because there's no physical observation available of the of the actual effects. And so children that are victims of emotional abuse, they're constantly criticized, uh, threatened, and they may feel rejection. They may not receive the love and the support that they need. What are like some of the statistics among black women and children compared to like non-African-American women? Well, when we look at abuse, um, 30% of victims are black children. And so um, 30% out of other races, um, it's actually pretty equal. Um, About 30% um, white victims, 33% um, Hispanic victims as well. So it's pretty, pretty even there. Um, And as far as children are concerned, um, many people think that, oh, it's just little girls that are abused, but it's not. It's it's boys and girls. Uh, 53% of victims are female. Uh, 47% are male. 
And believe it or not, 78% of the abusers are the parents. So the vast majority of the time when children are abused, it is by their direct caregiver. Wow. So that is interesting. Okay. So no, uh, my question then is, um, I guess you mentioned the 73% being from parents. Is that correct? Yes, 78%. Oh, 78%, excuse me. Um, Do you think... uh, those statistics um, have the potential to be higher? Like um, maybe there's not a lot of, there's not reporting of of abuse going on. Can you elaborate on that? I do think so. Um, These particular statistics are from Tarrant County in particular, Mm -hmm. um, from 2016. And these statistics come from the actual abuse that is reported. So if if abuse is not reported, then of course we're not able to gather information sure. about that. Sure. Okay. So talk to us about what are some signs that we can look for? Um, well, not we, but as you as a professional, what are some signs that you look for um, in children that may potentially be abused? So some of the signs that um, that are pretty common, um, if you're thinking about physical abuse, the children will sometimes have uh, frequent injuries. They may have bruises and cuts and burns, and there's no adequate explanation that's ever given. Mm-hmm. Um, or the parent may provide an explanation, and it's not a plausible explanation. You look at it and realize, you know, that couldn't have happened, or that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, when looking at children, um, sometimes they have a fear of being around certain people or being um, afraid in certain situations. Maybe they don't want to go over this person's house or they don't like when this particular person comes to their home. Um, children, their behavior may change. And so they may become passive or withdrawn um, or the opposite. They may become aggressive and disruptive. And, and you may notice changes in their school behavior. Um, their, their, their grades may drop. Um, you may notice changes in their hygiene and their in their appetite, um, bedwetting when otherwise they were potty trained and all of a sudden now they're now wetting the bed. Um, their behavior may regress um, in the way that, you know, your child is eight, but then all of a sudden they're acting like a two or a three-year-old again. Um, mm-hmm. So those are some of the the signs that, that really stand out. Um, you may notice bloody clothing or you may notice that your child has a a new interest or a preoccupation um, with sexual touch or sexual language. Um, you have to be careful and not misconstrue certain behaviors. Um, as children grow, as they develop, they do become interested in their own sexual parts or they, they do start to explore. So just because you may notice those behaviors with your child, it doesn't mean that your child has been sexually abused. Um, but you want to look at the total situation and, and be sure to pay attention to all of the signs to see if something doesn't seem right. Now, we, we both have um, early child education kids and looking at this topic I was thinking to myself you know this is great to talk about because you know we have moms who or families that are going to have their kids go into school for the first time there are going to be some people are going to go into certain summer camps and certain places for the first time transitioning out from where they were before so what type of you talked about you know bloody clothing or whatnot being withdrawn 
How does one parent or both parents talk to their child who may, first of all, I guess you look at it in terms of ages, who may not have the vocabulary to come out and say, mommy, daddy, so-and-so touched me in my genital area. What what do we do there? Like, how do how, what should we say or what should we be looking for um, from our child? I think the most important thing is to have those conversations with your child. And they're difficult, they're uncomfortable, um, but they're really, really important. And talking to your child about these particular topics is not just a one-time conversation. Um, These are conversations that should be frequent. They should be ongoing. Um, They should change as your child grows, as your child develops and matures. Um, And so you could incorporate a conversation during bath time or... Mm -hmm. Maybe while you're changing your child's clothes, you could have just a a conversation. Um, You as the parent will know best when your child can grasp certain concepts. Um, So you want to always make sure that these conversations are age appropriate. Um, But I think a three-year-old or even a four-year-old, they're Mm -hmm. able to understand uh, certain things that that pertain to their body. And so... um, For example, when you have these conversations, you don't have to start out immediately talking about abuse. Um, You can start out talking about safety, um, making sure that your child understands um, the difference between a safe touch and a not safe touch, Um, making sure that your child understands um, that this is their body and that they have private parts on their body. And I think it's important to call those private parts what they are. Don't nickname them. Mm-hmm. Call I was going to ask you yeah. that question. That's yeah, a big yeah. debate. It is. It is, it is a big debate. So people calling, you know, the penis, you know, a, a willy or things like that. Or you're saying a PP, that's a no-no. I, I personally think they need to call it what it is. Because mm-hmm. if a child goes to school and says, so-and-so touched me on my wee-wee, how do we really know what that is or what part of the body that is? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's a fictitious name that you've given to your arm, then that could be misunderstood. But if they understand this is my penis, this is my vagina, this is, these are my breasts, this is my butt, I think that helps them to be able to understand that this this is what it is. If someone touches these areas, these are private parts that should not be, should not be touched. Okay. So I, I think... Um, me personally, I do think that it's that call it what it is. Don't yeah. don't nickname yeah. it and just call it what it is. Okay, love um, but just having those conversations where they understand, um, you know, again the difference between a safe touch and a and a not safe touch. I even think it's better to say safe and not safe than to even say good touch or bad touch, mm. um, because sometimes. A bad touch may feel good, you know, that's just the reality of what it is. And so then they're confused on, well, is it is it really bad if it if it might have felt good? So that's confusing for children. Um, or even let's say they go to the doctor and the doctor has to give them a shot. That doesn't feel good. But it's not a bad thing. So they just need a, a good understanding. Um, and safe and not safe to me is a better better way to describe it. Okay. Okay. Now, I see a lot of our discussion so far is surrounding kind of um, a sexual abuse. But I guess, can you uh, give us some kind of background or assistance in helping us, like, 
talk to kids about maybe like emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. How could you, you know, talk to a young child about that? So emotional abuse is, is again one of those ones that's so difficult to understand. It's it's difficult to assess, um, but I think it's important that you, as parents, instill in your child that they're important. They're they're their worth is um, is important to you and it's important to them. And talk to them about situations where people, um, adults, um, even other kids may put them down. Um, talk to them about situations where they are told that they're stupid or that they're ugly or that they're made to feel that they're not important or made to feel that they're not loved. And I think encouraging them and, and showing them that they are important can kind of help them recognize those situations situations where they're made to feel otherwise. Okay. Because I'm thinking maybe even an emotional abuse like that can go down the alley of bullying, right? Absolutely. So it's kind of like, how do we um, as parents instill kind of that confidence in our children either to um, speak back to their, you know, bully person Mm -hmm. or abuser, essentially, Mm -hmm. that's what it is, Mm -hmm. or... um, at this time, do we take it, do we have our child just talk to or tell an authoritative person? You know, do we tell them to um, kind of uh, assert themselves or talk to an authoritative figure or both? I think both. Okay. I honestly think both. Um, helping kids to understand that it doesn't matter what other people say to you or say about you. Um, as long as they're getting that in the home from their parents, the reassurance that they're loved and they're they're wanted. And, and as long as we as moms and, and fathers promote their self-worth, I think that can help them to overcome situations where there may be some emotional abuse that happen. And I think it's different when it comes from other kids mm-hmm. versus when it comes even from adults, um, there's a difference. And so if there's a step parent in the home or even a biological parent mm-hmm. that is telling a child that they're stupid or that they're ugly or that, you know, we don't want you here, that's a lot different than mm-hmm. them hear, hearing bullying comments um, made from kids at school. And you know what? I also think sometimes as an adult, if we're talking to kids and we kind of say those negative statements like you're not smart or you're stupid, I wonder if it's it's coming from um, their own past. Absolutely. Where, again, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. So you're basically um, giving those statements to the younger child because that's what's been told to you? I see that very, very often. Um, Again, we don't know what we don't know. And oftentimes we parent the way that we were parented. Mm -hmm. And so if we have parents that said those things to us, sometimes we say, oh, I I came out fine, so I'm okay. And so I think that we then think, oh, it's okay to say those things to our children. Mm -hmm. Um, But those words are so powerful and they're so damaging. And I, there's hundreds and hundreds of kids that I've worked with that are damaged just because of the words that, that are said to them, you know. And again, parents, um, it's difficult to be a parent. No one gives us a manual. No one mm-hmm. teaches us how to do this. And so when we're dealing with our own issues, our own mental health issues or our own relationship problems or work stressors, we do and say things sometimes that we may not even mean, not realizing the impact that it has on our children. So at that point, would you recommend, um, say, if a child came into therapy for you, would you recommend a parent as well get some therapy? Yes. Or do you do do you do combination? 
It depends on what the situation is. Um, I definitely will do family counseling um, if need be, um, if I see that that would benefit the entire family. Um, But it's also beneficial that if I'm seeing the child, um, it would be beneficial if there's some concern that the parent has their own therapist and they're working on their issues with one person. I'm working on the issues with the child. And then we kind of blend it together as, as we need to. What type of wording would you suggest or what have you suggested to a parent who did have that upbringing of, oh, you're stupid, you're this, like the negative wording, instead of them using that negative wording, and maybe in the the parent's mind, what they're thinking, of course, like you said, was, well, I turned out fine. Why can't I say it? Well, maybe they're trying to encourage, and as weird as it sounds, in their own way of trying to encourage their child. What type of wording would you suggest a parent use instead of saying you're stupid you're dumb you're you're this yeah you're a fool Mm -hmm. always positivity um always try to figure out something positive to say every child is precious and every child has something amazing to offer even when they're difficult even when you're struggling with that child and their behavior or their personality but just trying to stay and remain positive Um, even if you have to say something to correct your child maybe their behavior Mm -hmm. Um, if you have to say something um, about maybe negative behavior follow up with a positive statement don't let every interaction that you have with your child or every word that they hear you say be something that mm-hmm. that is bad. And so it could even be something as simple as, um, yes, today you were misbehaving in school and I'm disappointed in that behavior, but I know that you're smart and I know mm-hmm. that you're a really good kid, so tomorrow we're going to have a better day. Tomorrow, what can you do differently to, to do better? But just showing them that you have faith in them, that you believe in them, and that you you know that they can do better or, or be better. Um, that's really important. Um, kids really need to hear that on a daily basis. That's true. And I also true. think it, going back to that discussion, what can you do to be better? It, it helps the child kind of collaborate. It involves them. It is a very active dialogue. Well, I'm going to try. And of course, they're children. So right. I was like, they're, <laughs> they're probably not going to remember. But, you know, in your conversation, remember yesterday you said you would try to... Um, be a better listener or something like that so the teacher would have to talk to you. So I figure maybe collaborating or getting them more involved in their own discipline, quote-unquote, kind of helps steer to a more positive outcome. Definitely. Okay, okay. Definitely. Cool. Well, let's go back really quickly um, to um, safe, not safe, just having those conversations with kids. Can you uh, give us an example of some things you would say for um like I say so um you mentioned bath time being a good time to talk about things um maybe drive time to and from school or something like that would be a great intimate opportunity so what kind of questions for example would you ask the child um to let them know or kind of set their mind up into um helping them with you know, identifying abuse or Mm -hmm. not, you know. I think that, um, again, initially you want to make sure that you've established an understanding of what safe and not safe touch is. And once you feel that your child has a good grasp on that, um, you can even ask them for examples. Um, For example, you could say, um, if a person 
puts their hand under a girl's dress, is that a safe touch or is that a not safe touch? Mm. Um, Or you could say if um, a person tells you that they're playing a game and they want to put their hand down your pants, is that a safe touch or a not safe touch? So first, make sure that they're really clear on establishing um, what that that is. Um, And then I think it's also important that your child is able to identify who they can talk to um, if they ever felt uncomfortable in certain situations. Situations. So create a list with them um, of two, three, four people that they feel comfortable talking to. And, and whoever that may be, it could be mom, it could be dad, it could be grandparents, uncles, um, just making sure that they know these are the people that I can go to and tell these people about anything um, and feel comfortable with that. Um, And then I also think it's important to have a conversation about secrecy um, because that's that's how a lot of abuse happens and continues long term because children are told to keep a secret or they're told um, they're even threatened sometimes don't tell don't tell your parents or I'm going to hurt you or I'm going to hurt your parents. And so just making sure that they're comfortable enough to know that nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing will happen to me. Uh, make sure that you talk to me if something makes you uncomfortable. Makes sense. I, I kind of want to take it to a different route in terms of we've been talking about children, but domestic violence is, you know, still considered abuse in a variety of ways. What statistics or what have we noticed about Black women being abused in relationships? One of the things that I that I've frequently seen in my experience um, is that, and I don't I won't even say that it's just Black women because I've seen it in all in all races, but um, women that become victims of some type of domestic violence, intimate partner violence. Um, it can or it cannot go down to affect their children as well. Um, just because an abuser is abusing the woman doesn't mean that he will abuse the children, but it can happen. It, it definitely can happen. Um, and it's, it commonly happens that way to where, um, a woman is involved in, in an abuse situation and then her children are affected as well. Um, even if the children are not, actual victims of the physical or sexual abuse, just being in a home where they can witness domestic violence, um, hear domestic violence, like that is still just as traumatizing for those children. Wow. And so among, because this is a platform for Black moms and Black women, what are, um, it seems pretty um, simple, but what might be some factors of not reporting um, some of that domestic violence going on. Why would they not do that? I think the number one thing that I've seen is that they're afraid. Okay. Um, they're afraid um, that the violence will get worse. Um, I think, too, I see quite often that they are dependent on that man. Maybe he pays the rent or maybe he he pays, um, you know, for the food in the home. He She feels as though she has to have him to make ends meet. So if I report this abuse, then those things will stop and then now where are we going to live or how are we going to eat every day and so I think those are two of the things that I see most commonly um definitely fear they're definitely afraid um and then issues with them needing that person to help provide Mm -hmm. if you're a friend of someone who 
you think is being abused, how does one approach them? Yes. What do you recommend? Yes, that was my question. How do we, how does someone help from, I guess, quote unquote, afar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very difficult situation. I think the main thing that you want to do is let that person know that you love them, um, that you care for them, that you want to be there to support them. Um, because what will happen if you are too pushy, if you go to them and say, you need to leave him tomorrow and you need to get out of that situation, you run the risk of running off your friend and you may be the only person that they have um, for support. And so I it's a very difficult situation when you know that you have a friend that is being abused, um, but you want to do whatever you can to show them that you that you support them and that you're there for them and help them process this and help them plan, okay, I understand if you don't want to leave today, but what can we do to get you out of this situation in, in the next month? So what steps can we take? Um, how much money can I help you save? Or maybe I can go and help you find somewhere else to live, or maybe I can, you know, find out what new school your children will need to go to. But just coming to them as a support system mm-hmm. um, versus coming to them with directives and and being pushy and trying to tell them what to do. People don't want to hear what they should do, even when they know what they need to do. (laughs) Look at me. They don't want to hear it. I I sigh because I guess if you are a friend, it is very, it's frustrating being in that friend position because you want the best for your sis, right? So it's like, How do we, it's a fine line. It is a very fine line. And I've seen too many times where the friend is, they just come in and they are aggressive with it and they're telling them, you got to get out of this and, you know, you need to leave right now. And then they, the friends fall out. And so then now, who does that woman have as her support? And it plays right into the whole, the whole portion of it. It's like, well, why can't leave now? Because I have nobody. I have no one. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And, and but happens. then you're in that position. Well, I'm going to lose my friend anyway. My friend, because my friend sees me, sees me as the outsider in this abusive relationship, right? Yeah. She's trying to be my, trying to be my support system. I won't leave. Um, she's going to, she's going to end up leaving me too. So here I am as a, as, as the, the victim, the abusee. I guess I don't know when you use that. Abused. Abused. Victim. Thank you. Abused. The victim. Thank you, PC. Um, Whereas I'm, I'm stuck in a rock and a hard place. He might leave me. She might leave me. So then, you know, what do right. I do? Very what true. do I, what do I do at this point? Very true. Mm-hmm. And that's often a dilemma for yeah. them. It's very much a dilemma. It is. What are some resources or, you know, and for those that maybe have friends who they see being abused, um, is there like a, a good resource, um, that someone should look up and say, you know what, this is a good path to use to help them get out or get the the help that they need once they are able to, quote unquote, escape Mm -hmm. um, from whoever they're being abused by. I think one of the best resources for women dealing with any type of domestic violence would be um, local shelters. Um, And it depends on where you live, whether that's Tarrant or Dallas County. But 
any type of domestic violence shelter, um, they would be the first place to start um, because they have so many resources available. They can help you get out of that situation and find you a place to live. They can help house your children as well. They can help you with um, clothing and food and help you with transportation and they can help you with getting a job and going back to school. And so there's so many different resources that these shelters have available. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are probably the best place to start. And their their locations um, are not published. They're they're you can't find them. There it's it's very secret. And so once the woman is in these shelters, this man cannot locate her. He would not be able to find her there. Mm-hmm. And so it provides a sense of um, safety and security for her and for her children. Um, they most shelters pretty much all that I know of also have therapists on staff. And so they'll have a therapist that can work with the mom and then they'll have a therapist that can work with the children as well. Um, and so those are usually really good um, places to to start. The, the victim may or may not be ready to take that step, um, but it is an option for them. Yeah. I'm also thinking um, what you're describing to me seems like those are in very immediate extreme dangers. Uh, but what about moms who, or, or or women who actually live in a good house, has a stable job, um, you know, their kids are being taken care of, but they're mm-hmm. being abused. So they have a job, so they don't need to, and they have a, a, a roof under their head. They don't really need to run to um, a, a shelter, so to speak. They don't need to, because on the outside, we we think that they're, their the overall fam- picture is right. is perfect quote unquote but so how do, how do we talk or how do we get to those um those women who pretty much are in a stable mm-hmm. quote unquote situation how do we get there how do we talk to them i think that if i think the best thing to do for those particular women um or victims would be to connect them with a actual counselor a mental health therapist that they can go to do some individual counseling so that they can make plans on what their next steps will be and so it it may be that they have the home and then they have their they have a job and they have transportation but maybe they just need to process do I want to stay in this situation? Do I want to leave this situation? And if I choose to leave, how do I go about doing that? Because you can't always just pick up and move overnight. Mm-hmm. So they they need to plan that out and figure out what steps they want to take. Mm-hmm. And so I think connecting them with a with a therapist that can help them get through that and process that and see what that will look like um, so that they can make a, a plan that works for them. Um, because the the time in which a woman is leaving an abusive relationship, that is the most dangerous time. And that is typically when um, death may occur in a situation. Not not the day-to-day abuse that she's dealing with, but when she's trying to leave the situation. You know, I heard on average, this was like years ago, um, when I had, uh, I say attempted to volunteer because I didn't make my way all the way through all the classes. Um, it got a little too emotional for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a woman an average of seven times Absolutely. to leave their abused. It uh, is still yeah. seven. That still is still seven. the number. Mm-hmm. So average. they'll make seven attempts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before they're able to On average. truly stay away and not, not go back, um, not be you know, made to go back, not feel that they want to go back. 
on average, it's seven attempts that they'll try to leave. And that's a lot. That's a I'm lot just of saying, let that sink in. Yeah, let it sink in. Yeah. My goodness. Why? Why? Why do you think it takes seven? Like, what's what's the final, or what have you heard from moms or women? What is the final straw? What what's on average their final straw is? I think it it depends a lot on the the nature of the abuse that they were receiving from their from their abuser. But a lot of times, um, the final straw is because they're in the hospital because the abuse has been so difficult, so damaging to their bodies that maybe they're in the hospital, um, or maybe they. Maybe their children were affected. Uh, maybe CPS got involved, and so they finally said, "You know what? I it's one thing for something to happen to me, but for me to potentially lose my children, that's of oftentimes for women the the final straw for them. They don't they love their children. They don't want anything to happen to their children. Um, so those are two of the areas that I see commonly as mm. as what it takes for them to say, you know what? I can't." go back to this. Um, but with domestic violence, it's a cycle and it's there's this big it just you know, they 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 abuse them and then they're loving and uh, and they're apologizing and they're saying that it'll never happen again and then things are good for a little while and then this cycle just continues to repeat and repeat and repeat. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard um, when the person's telling you that I love you and I'm sorry and I'll never do this again. When you love a person, you believe them and you you want to believe them mm -hmm. and you want to believe that this won't happen again, but it commonly does. Do you find that uh, victims of domestic abuse come from families of abuse? Sometimes, yes. Um, sometimes. What we find um, is that there will be situations where, um, for children, for example, if they grew up in a home where they, if, it, if it's a male child and he grew up in a home where his father was abusive, um, he might in turn be um, abusive as well as he grows up. Um, same thing for women. If you were a child in a home, um, a young girl in a home and your mom was abused, um, you typically are more susceptible to being a victim as well as you mm -hmm. get older and you're in a relationship. Doesn't, it's not 100%. Um, I don't even know the exact statistics on that, but I see it often where um, abusers will come from a home where there was some some type of abuse. And then you have those situations where you grow up in a home where there was abuse and you're adamant that you will not repeat that cycle. So I wish I knew what what draws people one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not clear on that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I had noticed on your um, website you use what's called play therapy. Um, would you mind just kind of telling us a little bit more about that for those who um, don't know what play therapy is? And would you recommend using um, such type of therapy with those who are abused? Okay, um, absolutely. So with play therapy, um, it is an evidence-based type of treatment um, to provide uh, therapy for children. And so there are different techniques. There's different uh, specialized interventions that I use um, that are specifically um, for children, um, even children as young as two. Um, I personally work with children five and older. And um, the science behind it is that 
play is a child's natural environment. That is what they are here for. That's what they do. They they perform best in environments where they're able to play. And what typically happens with play therapy is that they are in their natural, comfortable environment, and they're able to play out situations or themes that may be happening in their life. And so, um, Play therapy for children that are abused, um, children that are dealing with um, maybe a divorce or separation, um, play therapy for children dealing with uh, behavioral issues, anxiety, depression, is a very, very effective um, treatment model for, for little kids. Nice. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. I could try that out. Do you find it very effective? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's something about a child getting in the playroom and I'm there, they, they're they there playing, but I'm learning so much about the behaviors that they're um, exhibiting. I'm learning about the things that are troubling them in their lives just based on the things that I can observe that they're playing with or the things they may say or the things they may act out. Um, it's, it's very telling of the things that are happening in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I know play-based therapy is 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 commonly used not only for counseling but just a various treatment approach. Even you know, with my background, speech. I was going to say, like that. yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. We use play-based mm-hmm. therapy to elicit language and elicit mm-hmm. vocabulary and things like that. Very. I mean, effective. I noticed my sister will talk about behavioral like play therapy. In mm-hmm. a way, like she'll be observing mm-hmm. kids, yes. Um, yes, in the schools and yeah. you'd be surprised. observations. Yeah, I was they call say, it, you'd right? be surprised that, what what just observing a child will let you find out about Absolutely. them. Oh my gosh! Absolutely, yeah. So I totally see it as mm-hmm. you know. I've I, seen some amazing things in the playroom mm-hmm. that that if I just sat on a couch and talked to a child, they wouldn't have the cognition or the the vocabulary to say the mm-hmm. things that may be troubling them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I and you agree. recommend this for both parent, like for parents or adults as well as for children? Play therapy is specifically for um, children, um, for the therapy model that they would receive. Um, however, people, you can do play therapy with adolescents. You can do it with adults. It's not as common, um, but it can totally be done with How do you that. do play therapy with adults? You can do it. Well, I Are was you thinking serious? coloring. Mm-hmm. I was thinking coloring, but I could be oh, so off base. The, in my mind, I'm thinking blocks on the floor. What's wrong I'm with thinking, that? What's wrong with some Lego? <laughs> or it could be board games. Board games. Um, okay. I could I could pull out Uno with a 25 year old and be really surprised at the things that we talk about, the things that we that we that we discover. I keep a basket of fidgets in my office, and my teenagers and my adults will just grab those. They will play with them while we're talking, and it's just that natural stimulation of your brain it's just something that that works it just it just works i just learned something new (laughs) so you can probably tell a lot about a person based upon what type of game they play not necessarily just the type of game but when you're when you're distracted sometimes or when you're preoccupied with something else you're you feel more comfortable you feel mm-hmm. able to talk more I can see freer. you letting your guard down yeah. you know because yeah. you're just playing you know for example amongst the black culture right spades is a thing of I love love yeah. dominoes yeah. I mean dominoes you, you know what I mean so you know we we could have been the most standoffish person, you know, the first time I met you, but let's play some spades. And it's a totally different environment. It is. You know, <laughs> I mean, totally not to make light, but not no. to make light of the situation. Yeah. But yeah, just things like that will help bring the guard down. Yeah. I totally, I, yeah. 
Yeah. And even in the playroom, it's not, some people think that it's just a collection of whatever toy you want, any toy, every toy, but it's not. Every toy in the playroom is, um, it has a very strategic purpose. And so there are certain items that are, that are nurturing items. There are certain items that are aggressive items. There's, there's a category of, of certain type of toys that can kind of help promote children to communicate whatever their needs are. So it's, it's really fascinating. I, I love it. I love the. Mm. I love it. <laughs> you getting ideas already? No, I'm not getting. <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm mind blown. That's all it is, really. Nice. It's like from an adult standpoint, yeah. not you know a child standpoint. I understand totally, but hmm. very nice. Interesting. Very nice. We'll take a quick break. So every Monday, we ask you to tell us about a mom who is doing some great or marvelous things. We call it Marvelous Mahogany Monday. So this past week, we have found there are three moms who, um, actually even more than that, to be quite honest, that we need to recognize. The first being Nika Ragsdale is doing a fantastic job. Um, She actually just finished up her, it's an annual, the Malcolm X Festival in Dallas. She's a single mom of two and as well as an author. And so kudos to you, Nika, for being in the movement. Also want to uh, let folks know that Stephanie Davis wanted to let AJ and Belinda know that they are excellent moms and the most supportive women that she could be around and have in her life. And not, but not least, um, all to all the mahogany moms that are graduating this past May and June coming up, uh, we want to recognize you guys because um, not only are you moms, either single moms or with somebody doing it, but um, you're also raising one, two, maybe three, four kids and studying and doing it all. So we salute you. And of course, every Monday you can recognize um, a mom or maybe just want to uplift someone in your community or an organization that is helping moms. So we ask you that you recognize them via our social media on Monday. And now back to the show. All right. So we are back. And as we're wrapping up our topic of abuse, I want you to just tell us what is one thing um, as far as child abuse and adult abuse that um, our moms, our listeners can take away if there's anything that they don't remember from this whole podcast? What is that one thing you want them um, to be able to identify? Um, I think the one thing that I would want um, to leave as a takeaway is to make sure that as parents that you stay in tune to the things that are going on with your child. Um, Talk to your child. um, Observe your child. Just be present. Be open with your child. Just make sure that you are aware of what is happening um, with your child. Um, Making sure to teach um, healthy boundaries um, and letting kids know that, you know, it's okay to say no to things that don't feel right or that don't feel comfortable. Um, one area that that's really important to me is to, to get into the habit of not forcing your child to um, go hug uncle so-and-so or go give grandpa a kiss or you need to do whatever the babysitter tells you to do. I think that when we give those messages to our children, it doesn't allow them the opportunity to to be able to voice situations that make them uncomfortable or to come to you and tell you when something doesn't seem right because they're a little confused on, my mom says go kiss grandpa all the time, but I don't want to do that. Um, so that would just be my one 
my one takeaway is to just make sure that you're observant of what's happening with your children, that you're providing them with um, not just shelter and clothing and food, but that you give them the support and the love and nurturing that they need. Awesome. Awesome. And I will say this, just generally speaking, I think the the whole topic of abuse can can be so vast and we can we can go down the rabbit hole yeah. for any of those yes. um, areas that we discussed. And yes. I know we have a very short podcast and we um, pretty much just kind of not even, I personally feel like we didn't even scratch the surface. Oh, not at all. There's so much more. <laughs> so much more to that. But I just like, I, I like the idea that to present to you, if there's one thing or for you to tell the moms or tell our um, listeners just that one thing, um, you know, just just one thing they need to look at. You know, let's look at this and let's talk to our children or nieces or your nieces or your nephews, Mm -hmm. you know, about these things. So definitely we thank you for coming on the show. Yes. Where can we find you? Talk about it. Give us give us a little plug. So I am located in Arlington. Um, my office is Restoring Serenity Counseling Center. And so I'm located in North Arlington. Um, you can find me on social media. I have a business Facebook page. Um, and um, I believe it's www.facebook.com, Restoring Serenity Counseling. Um, you can find me on Twitter as well. Um, and then I'll also give my website. Um, that is www.restoringserenitycounseling.com. So you can reach me through the website. Um, you can You can contact me on any of those outlets. And just doing a quick Google on you, I just started to type in Restoring Serenity, serenity, and you are the second thing that popped up. That is amazing. There we go. (laughs) So they know where to find you. Come find me. Mm -hmm. She's right off the freeways, too. I am. For those of you who are local. Okay. Awesome. Great. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, and hopefully we get to have you back for more um, as we look at mental health and everything that goes on with us as Black moms. So appreciate you being with us. Thank you. And so with that, this is Mel. And this is Tosh. And this is Mahogany Mammology. We ask that you rate, download, subscribe, tell your friends, share with us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mahogany Mammology. And we'll see you next time. Awesome. Bye-bye.